lunch at Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good. Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, where we look through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows, and the creamy middles of The Simpsons seasons 1 to 12 through random episode generation. I'm, of course, your host, Ty McRae. Join with me. Um, it went so well with audiences and critics, we've gotten back for a second sequel, but hopefully it's more T2 than MIB2, if you catch my drift. So here is again, we have our own movie apprentice there, Josh Prentice. Uh, Josh, it's very good to have you back, I believe, after one whole year as well. Um, spooky, but uh, it's good to have you back on board. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. Yeah, it has been a year to the day, and luckily mm. it's a much better episode this time around as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what you it's sort of not not quite in canon but like always like to test guests um you know because i'm trying to not give away all the truly great episodes you know that is for me and my co uh co-host cow but um i like to throw out tests of like oh can they handle a season nine or some rough season 11 episode and you have passed with flying colors so you've been rewarded with this little uh gem here now i believe you gave me some recommendations on disney plus say a few weeks ago listeners and i've managed to get a hold of a free account a shout out to ellis who's been on here before um as a little birthday treat i've now got uh her own my own account on hers so i've actually been able to dive into uh that rescue rangers uh reboot if you will or their own little um their own little yeah series they did there i will say Thanks for the recommend, because I really enjoyed it there. Um, it's like modern-day Roger Rabbit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just, it's just basically how you should do these um, pop culture references, because I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, why the hell does Chip look so weird? No, not Chip, it was Dale that had the surgery, mm. but I love that whole gag about it, and I love how they just went with, what would all these eight like these old cartoons be doing if it was a Roger Rabbit world? They'd be at conventions. It just made so much sense. And Ugly Sonic Redemption was also class. Ended up watching the... Um, if I mentioned it the other day, I ended up watching the um, TV movie from the 90s. That was like how they all came together in the first place. Oh, right. Uh, I never realised like how much of a mood Gadget is because there's a bit in that movie where she's like all the way through the movie. She's had these ideas, but they've not worked. And she's sort of like, they're all dangling, like, one after the other, like, holding on to Chiba's ankles. And she's there holding on to Chip's, like, ankle, like, saying, why does all my ideas not work? Maybe I should start doing ideas that I intend to not work so they will work? Or am I just a failure? Chip, can, you can tell me. Am I a failure? No, it might be the best time for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just shocked to, um, obviously, because Disney seems to own half the world now. But, like, you saw, like, 80s Disney VHS kind of animation I saw Candice's mom from Phineas and Ferb. I saw Randy Marsh, of all people. Um, yeah, just uh, literally all these uh, animated characters and all that. Like, it's a real background spot there. you got to watch it a few times, catch a few Easter eggs here and there. But, um, yeah, I was just really surprised with how much I enjoyed it there. So I've got to go watch uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I've got to um, cross them over now. I've got to see which one's the better uh, series. Oh yeah, Roger Rabbit's definitely the untouchable one. But in terms of, so like, there's the Roger Rabbit tier, and then you have like your Looney back in action and Chip and Dale that I feel fit in that sort of tier, like just below. And you get to like sort of your Space Jam 2 tier, which is like bottom of the barrel sort of deal. That's how I feel about it. But 
Like you said, there's a hey, lot of references you know, in Hey, it. I'll tell you what about Space Jam 2. It's not a good film, but I prefer it over uh, the original because I, I like watching Last Dance and then the realisation like, oh, well, Michael Jordan is possibly the greatest person, but my God, what a shit human being. So I'm like, yep, I fully support LeBron. I prefer LeBron as a human being and it did... Oh, you're, well, you're the movie guy. Um, Do you know if it did financially better than Space Jam? Uh, just I, can, inflation? I can pull up the old box office mojo let's have a look see uh now is this what you use for research for your videos as well this box office mojo if i do like a video essay yeah i'll sort of look at the rotten tomato scores the IMDb score and the old like what it made budget wise versus thing like box office is good like if you go on it you can literally look at any top film you can look at it for adjusted for inflation so Technically, Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing film of all time, yes, just because the inflation the, of that is. That's the obvious example. Yeah. So Space Jam made so worldwide two hundred thirty million five hundred ninety four thousand nine hundred sixty two, and then Space Jam two. I imagine Space Jam two definitely did do better financially, just because you know kids and there's the, obviously the nostalgia people going in for it. Uh, I know it got the number one film in the world for one week. Because I was watching one of my American uh, sports shows and they had a whole debate over it. Oh no, that did not make much at all. It only made 162 million worldwide. Oh damn it! Just shy of 163. Thanks, LeBron. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I got. I think word of mouth (laughs) killed it. To be honest, that can happen sometimes. It's weird. Word of mouth will always kill a big blockbuster, but no matter how many people gush about a very good independent film that's getting a wide release. No one ever goes to fucking see him, and it's really heartbreaking and devastating. Uh, I suppose there's a lot of people that like watching people get hit in the balls by footballs, then pure art, like Pucantis, you know? Yes, well, I'm glad you turned us around to that, because this is exactly the episode you in here, folks. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you can tell he's a YouTuber. What a guy. Um, yes, because the episode we're reviewing today is A Star is Burns from Season 6, Episode 18. With the original air date being March the 5th, 1995. Directed by Susie Dieter. Written by Ken Keeler. And the couch gag being that the family all reverse heights. And they all um, run onto the couch. Home being the biggest. Maggie being the smallest. Now, as I ask all my guest hosts there. um, Did you remember this from being a lot younger? Or any nostalgic memories of this here episode? Yeah, it's one of those that I do definitely remember watching as a kid. I don't think I appreciated it as much then because like, I wasn't always this big film guy I think I was maybe 14 15 when I started to really get into film and start watching stuff that everyone talked about and went from there mm. uh, before I was just sort of like film festival what the hell is a film festival and even as a kid I knew that Bion was clearly supposed to be the superior of the movies I didn't get why everyone was booing Burns apart from just Burns being the absolute worst but I was also thinking why are these movies so short <laughs> like <laughs> uh, but I like to think like is Mo just doing like an extended I'm assuming it's like a short film festival like what if it's like is Mo doing like a full 10 minute short film song and dance number is Apu's robbery like a 20 minute thriller like and we open with this bad boy with um ah oh, I just love it I don't know why this seems to be a hallmark for me personally but whenever I see Eye on Springfield feature I just got a feeling it's going to be a solid episode at least because um ah oh, I I just love the theme with um wax lyrical about it in the flame and mo episode because it opens again with uh, Ion Springfield but apparently um 
Springfield stinks. Josh. Um, yeah, just zero rock bottom for culture there. In science, dead last. And uh, we see Seymour getting burnt at the stake because I'm telling you people, the Earth revolves around the sun. And um, I had to do some looking up, but with Grandpa going, you burn him and getting his photograph, you, you stole my soul. Like, that's a Native American belief, you know. Like, what, if you take, if, what, you take someone's photo as Native American, they'll think you've it taken their soul. It steals a part soul. of their soul, yes, because you're stealing a part of them, apparently, there. So, um, yeah, some very very odd, well, not even odd beliefs, but, yeah, I didn't expect that uh, kind of joke from The Simpsons here, but it does work there, these uh, nutters. The mob mentality rules Springfield. And in culture, dead last. And, um, uh, yeah, that's it, Roosevelt. It's Crossy portraying Roosevelt on stage. And we've got to do something about this depression. He just fucking walks up. No dedication <laughs> to his craft. He's no Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, God, I forgot I'm crippled. <laughs> Has there been moments like that in uh, film where you see an actor obviously portraying this role and you think, I, I just can't believe him. Or like, he keeps making little mistakes or historical inaccuracies. I mean, that would usually come down for the writing. Like, when we were talking about Chip and Dale earlier, I couldn't really buy... Andy Samberg as being the voice of Dale, to be honest. I'm used to them all having the squeaky oh. voices. And they do have that one bit where they like have a little fight and it gets all squeaky and stuff. But that's by the by. I mean, one of my favorite films of all time is Rush, the one about the F1 rivalry between Nicolella and James oh, yeah. Hunt. And, like, obviously James Hunt was long dead by the time that film got made, but Nicolella was there as, like, an uh, informant. And poor Daniel Brühl was basically under the ever-watchful gaze of Nicky. And basically, the... The whole <laughs> one, the one Nicky's big problems with it, though he didn't mind it so much, is that while he was a professional, like he was the consummate professional, like he's portraying the film, he wasn't as boring as the film made him out to be because it was made out like everyone party, they always go home like really early. Yeah. He was like, yeah. No, I, I stayed and drank too. I just made sure I got up really early the next day and paced the track, basically. <laughs> but he got that, like they made that so that the two opposite sides of him and Hunt was clear and transparent but there's a yeah, lot of stuff in there that's yeah. like really accurate to reality even the bit where james hunter beats up that reporter like there's no confirmed things that that did happen but a reporter did ask nikki that question and nikki said if james did that i would not have been surprised <laughs> no no that's kind of hit a blind spot with me as well i suppose the bit i can't really believe um that's like consistent is i don't know liam neeson doing american accents like, that just seems to take it out of me all the time there, whether it's, you know, taken or if he's doing a couple of these westerns, like, oh, like the, the thick Northern Irish or the thick Irish accent just cuts through no matter where he's from. Like, if he's trying to be from the Arizona or, you know, Midwest there, it just it doesn't seem to work in every film. Oh, a lot of actors have that big issue when it comes to accents, though. Like, I know in the Ocean's 8 remake, Helena Bollancar did an infamously poor Irish accent. And, of course, we have our infamous Dick Van Dyke <laughs> fucking accent. Oh, my from God, yeah. Bloody Mary Poppins. Like, I'd never seen that movie. Went to see my friend in America. His mum found out I'd never saw Mary Poppins, so she insisted that I watch it while I was there. And my takeaway from that movie was, yeah, that accent's bad, but Mary Poppins is so, is literally the worst character ever. <laughs> like, she is so up herself, but everyone just kisses her ass the whole movie. Like, such a horrible horrible written character but maybe that's just me see i i think i liked it when i was very young and then i re-watched it a few christmases ago and 
not only is it really long and the child actors are fucking annoying, but like, it just, yeah, drags out there and then they've got the mad, like, uh, animated sequences and, yeah, it's just drawn out. I, I love Julie Andrews in it, but I never got a character as, like, annoying. She's just, like, this magical person there. Is she really that annoying? Yeah, it was just one of those things where, like, for some reason it really irked me that she wins that cartoon derby. Okay, it's like, oh, mate, Papa's won the derby. It's like, she literally just walked up to him and said, hey, boys, can I get through, please? And, <laughs> and we're totally, like, she could do nothing wrong. Like, you know me, I love myself an anti-hero and stuff, but I, I can't stand flawless, perfect cast. Like, give me something, give me some conflict to latch on to. So the town has a town meeting there to discuss how the hell are we going to get from zero ranking culture there so they have a few suggestions patty and sam will go first you know essentially we just need to leech off the success of others that's why i need to change our name from springfield to seinfeld now i will say i'm a big seinfeld convert folks as soon as like netflix made that record-breaking deal and all the seasons are on there for a dirty amount of cash i watched it all before i moved up here it's something to watch whilst i'm working and yeah, um, it's near perfect there. Just, I, I think they were one of the shows that included the A and B storylines woven through like perfectly, even before The Simpsons. Um, yeah, I thought I wouldn't love Kramer, but I absolutely love Kramer. It's a shame he did what he did in the mid two thousands to kind of ruin his legacy there. And then, but I'm all time favourites George Costanza there, um, and just becoming a bit closer to his age every single year. You just understand his his neuroticness and everything else there. Um, it's incredible. Like, are you, I know you're more of a movie guy, but have you given a chance to watch any Seinfeld at all, Josh? Nah, I've never ever watched an episode of Seinfeld. I'm, I'm aware of the oh. theme song. So, I'm, so when that little jingle plays, like I really enjoyed that. Um, I feel it was like a nice little, it was sort of like a wink with nudge to the, well, how films were going to go how and how bootleggers go. They just cash on the popularity of other films. Like, no matter what film came out in the 90s, there was always some rip-off bootleg, mm. like, alternate version of a movie that came out, and always, like, this crappy B-movie, but they made money. Like, people just bootleg these movies and sold them on. So I thought it was, like, a nice little force channel that they were going to go film festival route because that's exactly what the film market is sometimes, just cashing in on popularity, a.k.a. DCU. Mm, true. <laughs> I will say... um, if you've got Netflix, uh, start from around about season uh, three for Seinfeld. You won't be disappointed. If you're a fan of your, I don't, if you're just a fan of general sitcoms or, you know, your office US there, um, yeah, you'll love it. I'd give it a big recommend. Yeah, I'll give it a little nose. I don't really watch that many American shows from the old days, but I feel like I need to give it at least some shot. Like, I enjoy some of the old British shows, so it can't be that different, right? Apart from the dry wit. No, no, it can't be as bad of a plan as um, Bart just pairing uh, his bare ass um, in slideshow there. Like, I've I've never I've never done this myself there, but I've seen like YouTube videos of kids that have come up with a prank, and it's clearly just them going, you know, like, oh, you know, um, I've always wanted to do this, but my dad had a bad case of ligma, ligma balls. So as we move on to things, like, oh, for fuck's sake, like the whole thing's a big piss take there. Um, I appreciate this boldness from Bart, and then he gets stuck in the slideshow when he tries to escape <laughs> as well. Courtesy of Millhouse, so 
not <laughs> didn't go his way. What a damn shame. I love that Mejas got stuck up there on the same row and he wasn't anywhere near on the stage. Um, just oh, you got to have the dry run. <laughs> That's probably happened in the dry run there. Oh, no, we're fine with you, Bill Bart. You're fine. Go ahead, lad. Uh, but just quickly as well, I like, just backtracked a couple of minutes earlier on the episode because like another hint mm. that they were going to go on the film festival out when they were talking about doing the town meeting because uh, Trimpio was set and Bart says, oh, I, I'm ruined, basically. And it cuts to him like pretending that there's famous movie stars in Springfield. Oh, and yes. he gives a lot of yeah, this Asian family and they go to Moe's house because he's true Barrymore. Now get out of here. I'm hungover. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Miss Barrymore. What? <laughs> I was got out my notes here that's written down. Moe is Drew Barrymore, apparently. But Marge comes up with a pretty neat idea in itself. Why don't we have a film festival and we can give out prizes then, draw new attention to the town there. And um, hey, I tell you what, I, I, we're in the month of pride now so good on Wiggum here can we make our own movies at home yes alas an excuse to wear makeup like I, he's, he had to deal with that shame like hopefully he could do it you know I want to see an episode in 2022 where he's his full fabulous self there and full of you know his nails and his makeup there as well we shouldn't have to hide that so good for him well there are a couple of little things in this episode when it comes to makeup obviously Wiggum talks about it but we see obviously Mo is all dolled up and there's Ooh. a great little gag with uh, Dr. Hibbert a little later on, but we'll get to that when we get to that. I think that's like a nice little highlight. Someone who's never watched that movie, I still appreciate the reference of it. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to him being a cover girl and putting the bass in his walk. Don't you worry. I was like, everyone's like immediately on board with it. And then Mars says, oh, I've got other ideas. And they're like, hey, no, don't, <laughs> don't push, push it. Don't push your luck. <laughs> don't push your luck. Yeah. Then... Oh, oh, I, I will. Oh, yeah. Before we move on as well, I love. Um, oh, I, I forgot what they call it because I follow some um, voice actors on Twitter. I think they just call it Rabble Rabble or something uh, for just doing background noise or crowd noise. Yeah, uh, it's just an easy gig, and um, I love Rabble Rabble in, in any kind of film or animated show. And just when they all go, ah, oh, well, I've got an idea. This is Margin. You say, oh. oh, oh. Oh, Marge is going to say something. <laughs> like, how many town meetings has that lad been to? He's going, oh, for fuck's sake, she's off again. Um, that and my favourite one in a film was... Um, did you ever watch Four Lions, Josh? That is one film I never watched, surprisingly, despite oh, my it, old Josh. brain growth. What have I got you on here for? <laughs> no Seinfeld, no Four Lions. Are you kidding me? I, literally, my old group of friends would reference it constantly, but uh... I never got around to watching it. <laughs> Well, there's I've... a bit where, like, they've got the go-ahead to, you know, make some bombs and, you know, the the plan's actually going together. And he goes, and we're going to shove it to those capitalist fucking pig dogs, da-da-da-da, and be true jihadis, yeah. And they'll go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, the fellow who's behind Phone Jacker, and everyone's going to green, like, yes, yes, brother, yes. You can hear him go, yeah, fuck me baby bells, bro. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Like, wait. Had to get... wait. Fuck me baby bells, yeah, legit. <laughs> No, no. You say phone. Wait, so Phone Jacker was part of Four Lions? I remember watching yeah, Phone Jacker when I was younger. <laughs> he, the actor who's in that, and then what we do in the shadows. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was in that film. He's the thick one. Oh my god, oh, that's brilliant! That's, yeah, again, I, that's I loved watching Phone Jacker. One of my favorite calls is like, "Hey, hey, can I rent out a bus? A what? A bus? Can I rent out a bus? <laughs> uh, you mean a V eight? Like, how do you spell that? V H S? You mean a VHS? No, I mean a bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
40 foot wooden ladders talk to me terry terry tibbs here oh it was yeah it was amazing so film festival fever has swept springfield now with everyone getting in on the action here um with including bart with a nice little rod serling number much like um the twilight zone or if you're a future armor fan the scary door we have the eternal struggle and it turns out it's homer um just trying to put on some trousers there and (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah beautifully animated david silverman um has done a hell of a job here we also get um in fact i want you to walk us through this um big biblical special there that flanders is shooting (laughs) what's he doing here josh oh god it's fantastic uh just (laughs) so they're basically trying to retell the story of old baby moses so they put tard in a basket roll a camera and Todd gets washed away downstream, screaming, help me, e, e. <laughs> Lights, camera, hack, diddly doddly doodly action, Jackson. Help me, e, e. <gasps> Flanders to God, Flanders to God, get off your cloud and save my Todd. Thanks, God. Ookily dookily. And then apparently, turns out Flanders has God on speed dial. Just summons him mm. to shoot down a tree and literally just says, you're welcome, Flanders. Ookily dookily with his big hand. What did they think was going to happen? Like, you see how rough that river was there? Um, I know I've learned like, in, over the past few years that like the worst thing you can do with a film is have it filmed on water. Because it's um, like you're against the elements there, and it's hard to control stuff. Is that true? Oh yeah, pretty much. Your, there's there's yours is apparently hard to make. <laughs> it is. There is a very good reason why Waterworld is infamously one of the most expensive flops ever made. Because it was just a whole film about the whole world being on, on underwater. So they basically had to film on water and just like these fucking basically rubber dinghies, effectively, and like just equipment would malfunction oh, constantly. It was. A whole mess. Yeah, water is like the kryptonite to all electrical equipment. And, you know, you have like a 30 grand bloody red epic camera. Splash a bit, spill a cup of water on that, mate. That's um, that's no bueno. That's a, that's an expensive goss gum right there. And it's hard to move around it because water is, well, water, it's a liquid. It can be unpredictable. It gets literally everywhere. Mm. It's, um, yeah, just don't do it. I remember... I feel it was like six, seven years ago, this big controversy about this film. I think it was called like A Dog's Journey or something. I never watched it because it was controversial. Basically, they would chuck a dog in like these water wrappers for us saving a dog from the water scene. But it's just like, just use studio pools. Oh, like most studios mm-hmm. do pools these days and just dress it up. Like sometimes they would like, like the old 80s, like slashes like the Friday the 13th series. They would film out in a lake and have to take all these precautions and stuff. Even so, those were a pain to film with the big bulky cameras and such. So whilst Marge is busy trying to, you know, find suitable judges there, she sees Jay Sherman, the critic, on TV there. Um, yes, now, how aware of you of the critic TV show? Because this was a legit thing, so much so that um, the people behind the series were Algene and Mike Reese. Algene were going to be, you know, lead showrunner, but at the time he was like a co-producer, um, you know, 
almost during the inception of the Simpsons, as well as Mike Reese's writing partner there. And um, Matt Groening does not like this episode because it just comes across as a big sort of advertising ploy to please watch the um, critic, which at the time was um, entering its second season. Its first season got cut in half by NBC and then they sacked it off. So Fox picked it up and then they put it on right after The Simpsons. So they gave it every opportunity to succeed. It did do better viewing figures in its second season. A lot of it helped by its positioning on a Sunday night. But then um, it just got axed again there. Now, I've managed to watch some episodes of it way back. Um, and I would just say it's not for me. Like, if you love culture and Hollywood and jokes against Hollywood, then it's all for you. But I couldn't care about, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger being in the Sugar Plum Fairy. And then it cuts to him in a, you know, a little tiara and uh, ballet gear there. Like, it wasn't for me, Josh. Uh, were you aware of the series at all? Uh, no, actually. The one I was aware of was the old Siskel and Ebert show. Like, that was one of the big sort of critic shows. But it's surprised there was more critic shows on TV. And what you describe it to me sounds like the idea is supposed to be a critic show, but they're trying to make an SNL-style thing as well, which just doesn't seem to tick any boxes for me. Like, I love the little interview section he does in this. But, yeah, what you're describing doesn't sound great. Like, don't get me wrong, I love taking the mick out of how it works as much as the next guy. Um, but the way Hollywood jokes about itself, it's very... Don't like to say the C word, but it's very cringe. It's mm. like that's one reason I don't, I didn't, but one reason I didn't bother watching the Oscars this year was because it's either cut a bunch of awards um, to make time, but there was just time for more stupid jokes. And mm. yeah, just worth well, me ended up boycotting the whole show. The only award I actually gave a damn about was who would win the animation category. Wrong person won, but. That's me. Oh, who were the who was in the animation category then? <laughs> like animation last year, mate, we was so stacked. So obviously you had, so you had Disney's ongoing Canto, which is obviously the big one. Uh, but for me, Ryan the Last Dragon was the better of the Disney movies. You also had Luca as well. Wrong, Ron's Gone Wrong, which was like this from a new British animation studio, that was great. And there's this film called Flea, um, which is like this independent film, but it's I. As far as I'm aware, it's about a gay couple, and apparently it's like a really good representation of LGBTQ plus people. Uh, that's one film I didn't get to see. It was at the London Film Festival, but unfortunately, I never managed to get like a ballot to go watch that. And of course, we had Mitch vs. the Machines, and that is the film I wanted to win, and it won the oh, won now, the old best. You'll see me. I have not seen that, but it's on my watch list, and I've heard nothing but like great things, and it should have won all the awards, but. Is it because it was like a Netflix streaming original that it didn't get the look in or what? Uh, I don't believe because so, it was a weird thing with that movie. So like there was a trailer for it and it was called Connected once. It was just called Connected. The trailer looked like a cringy adults hating technology. Kids being like, come on, adults, get with the te- modern day technology. It just reeked of like just a, a hollow movie. Like, the only thing mm. that drew me to it in the slouch was that it was the same studio that directed Spider-Verse, which was Sony Animation, but they've also made oh. some weak animated films. And then it got re... But then COVID happened, and it got retitled as Mitchell's Rest of the Machines. And then it comes on, where the tr- secretary was decent. It was like, oh, it's basically a robot apocalypse. And they're like, the whole gag of it is they're getting rid of phones, having these robots that will be your servants. And even the CEO is like, are they going to turn evil? I promise you, they are totally, definitely not going to turn evil, immediately turn evil. 
take over the world as this dysfunctional like Midwest family having to basically save the world. But it ended up being this really, really deep emotional story. Like it's hilarious. Like there's this great sequence where they go to a mall and everything that's got a chip from this company comes to life basically. And <laughs> they go into this toy stop and they get attacked by a bunch of Furbies and then there's a mega Furby <laughs> after they kill one. But each Furby has like subtitles of what they're saying. So it's like oh, this right. <laughs> really brilliant section. But yeah, like there's this, this whole emotional subtext to it. So it like balances out the experience of the world and the great wide woods and with technology. And honestly, Katie Mitchell is literally... Um, a film nerd that's going to film school to be with her people. So I kind of related to her a little bit because she has like a little brother that's obsessed with dinosaurs and my brother was obsessed with dinosaurs. So like, oh. I, kept, I was like projecting myself into Katie. <laughs> and she's also subtly like one of the, I don't know how many like people in the LGBTQ community have been in animated films. She's like subtly in it. Like the whole time, oh, right. they, don't give, they don't mention sexuality at all. But at the end, like, her mom casually asks if her and this other girl are a thing yet, which I thought was a great little throwaway. And when you watch it again, you realise, like, well, she, once she's got the um, pride flag pin the whole time, and there's a couple of lines where she's like, don't bother your feelings, that's no way to live, and took me a while to figure myself out. Like, all these little sub-lines that you could easily associate to her being in the film, or it could have been her sexuality. It was a very, like, Katie Mitchell is great as, as the main character in it. And you have like Diane McBride playing the dad, and Olivia Coleman plays the villain, who's literally a phone, and she oh, is fucking okay. brilliant. Olivia Coleman is a national treasure. I would not hear another word against her. Well, I'm sure it's hell of a lot better than um, 90 minutes in front of a brick wall. McBain, <laughs> let's get silly. Jay, my new film is a mix of action and comedy. It's called McBain. Let's get silly. Did you ever notice how men always leave the toilet seat up? That's the joke. You suck, McBain! Now, my Woody Allen impression. I'm a neurotic nerd who likes to sleep with little girls. Hey, that really sucked! The film is just me in front of a brick wall for an hour and a half. It cost $80 million. How do you sleep at night? On top of a pile of money with many beautiful ladies. Just asking. Yeesh. Um, this action hero Schwarzenegger Light um, doing stand-up for 90 minutes in front of a brick wall. Um, I'm pretty sure this is how Marvel make all their films now. Just a big, <laughs> just a big um, what is it, soundstage in LA and just animate around them there. Um, but I, I appreciate his Woody Allen impression. Very accurate. It might he might not get the voice down, but I mean, I fully support him on his show. Can I just say that? Yeah, oh god, that's brilliant. Yeah, I did love the little shots take at Hollywood there because it's really how ahead of its time it is. Because literally, it's all in front of green screens now. Like, admittedly, mm. I have seen some behind the scenes stuff, and I will say this: even though yeah, green screens like the cheap way to make movies, it is still difficult to make a movie on the green screen you've got to light it correctly you've got to make oh, yeah. sure yeah. that all the bits are in place but it's more con- the reason they do it is it's cheaper it's more controllable uh, because you go out into the wide world on set there's always a chance something horrible could happen on the day 
which is a shame because I do prefer like using actual locations. But you know, with big science fiction things like this, you would think, yeah, green screen, it makes sense. But I do love how that is literally movies these days, <laughs> like standing for the wall and make explosions occasionally. Talk talk to this tennis ball for twenty minutes, uh, Ian McKellen. It's all right. You won't break down. You're fine. Uh, you just need any circus to be like all the supporting characters instead of <laughs> yes. the green ball. That's what you need. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently $80 million. And I like this response more and more now. Because um, Jay just goes, oh, how do you sleep at night on top of a pile of money with many beautiful ladies? Like, I and I've used to follow, I don't do it anymore. In fact, um, it's, you, it's you and um, uh, Jeremy Jans. You're the two reviewers I follow and subscribe to on YouTube. Because uh, I used to be, you know, for Nostalgia Critic and that, but, oh, Christ, you just went off the deep end and super cringe. And then you'll get these uh, other smaller ones where they actually go at the film junkets and they go, oh, well, um, I'm trying to think of an actress now. Oh, well, Mar- Margot Robbie, you're in this film, but do you remember when you were in <laughs> Neighbours and you did that really cringe scene? And I'm like, lad, she's a multimillionaire now. She don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, all right, you'll get the bother on that case, but she gets to, again, sleep on top of a pile of money in a <laughs> mansion in Australia. She didn't give a fuck, mate. Like, I, I never got why um they go for, like, that. oh, the sassy. My angle is that I'm sassy or I'm a bit awkward and cringe. Like, I've never got that. Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's unfortunately, a good push of the film critics. I mean, there are a lot of really good ones that I've been looking enough to meet some standout, like, film critics, they, like, during my time trying to do this all... <clears throat> YouTube thing, but yeah, just uh, there's something I follow YouTube for a bit. Like, there'll be one video where I really agree with their points, and I'll subscribe to them, and I'll go through some of their other videos. And I'm just like, bruh, like, no, <laughs> like, there's one because there was one where it was like this guy was talking about a movie, and then but now they are literally part of the have you seen like the meme going around the MCU? Like, that's a thing, no, going around. <laughs> so it's basically like insecure white bearded boys. For the most part, but there are a couple of like non-whites that are in that as well. But it's predominantly oh, it's all Mayo, oh, right. all raging about just how every character in the MCU is getting replaced with a female. Must like, but it make it makes sense in the story. Like, I've still not seen the first episode of Ms. Marvel yet. Like, I started watching it. I was kind of doing something else at the same time and completely lost where I was. Uh, but it's like people will literally complain about every small thing, and it really sucks because you know, like. I might have a genuine complaint about certain characters. For example, in this new Kenobi show, there's the main the main villain that is basically like just well permanently angry, and unfortunately, the it's played by a black actress. So obviously, some oh yes, I was going to talk about that. Yeah, don't sell say racist stuff to her or get her to fucking kill herself. You fucking morons jesus christ yeah, it, it's people like that that just really ruined the youtube like because i have like a lot of problems with the character i know some people have said like oh but anakin was like that i'm like yeah no one no one liked that in the prequels either until the fucking uh, sequel trilogy came out and suddenly people try to pretend the prequels are actually good movies like but yeah don't like the way she's been characterized but that's not the actress's fault and just giving the no. like the scummers an excuse to come and be scummy and it's like can you stop it? Because I like to make legitimate complaints about certain way characters are written, but now I can't because if I do, I might mm. be put in with You've that crowd by association. You know what I mean? It's oh, uh, yes. like you film critics online. They're a good thing. 
but at the same time, they're also a bad thing because some get an audience, like some of those controversial ones get an audience and they think that means they can do whatever they want. Mm. And yeah, just, yeah, it, it's annoying. <laughs> it's really annoying. <laughs> so Marge sees this and, you know, is inspired. She thinks, hey, Jay Sherman can do our film festival. Writes a nice little lovely letter. Even includes um, Homer getting involved. This is a pimple or a boil, like, and it actually <laughs> logs that down in the letter. But would Jay really want to leave Manhattan? But oh, look who it is! It's the um, consequences of his actions. It's Rainier Wolfcastle coming. I just realized you insulted me. Now you must die. And then he goes for the old "your shoes are untied." Even goes for a more closer look. Uh, Jay just leaves and. How many hours has gone by, Josh? Good God, to realise that these are authors. <laughs> that whole guy is actually... <laughs> it's the way he does it as well. Just like, I, I assure you my shoes are tied, but just to be sure, I will check. <laughs> and like, I'm going to say at least, because it seems to be like midday, so I'm assuming he's there for like six hours just Good looking God. for these laces. But almost like, he's supposed to be a famous movie star, and yet no one's tried to get a photo with him in Manhattan. <laughs> While he's been spending yeah. hours looking for these loafers. That's inaccurate, Simpsons. Come on. There's going to be a lot of photos of him now on the streets just looking at his shoes or loafers. That's one of my favourite gags in the whole episode, though. <laughs> We're into the second act now, and Jay ends up coming through there and meeting um, Marge and Homer there. I spotted your hair from the airplane. You must be the man who thought if it was a pimple or a boil and it was a gummy bear. Like, oh, Jesus. And you see the reaction of Marge and Jay together like, oh, Christ, no. <laughs> Nice little bit with Bart straight away where I, I wonder what the reference was when he said it, but now you've cleared it up for me where he's like, oh, cheap cartoon crossovers. Well, that uh, Flintstones and Jetsons crossover actually did happen in the 80s. It, it did happen, yeah. I do remember that one. Uh, more about the um, how Jay literally walks in the moment after he says that. I'm like, oh, oh this, yeah, this is a crossover of some kind. <laughs> beautifully done. And again, he's done the necessary plug and they've got to... Hey, man, I love your show. I think all kids should watch it. And then, oh, God, I feel so dirty. <laughs> like, he realized, oh, wait, the writers have made me say this now. How dare they? I have been compelled to plug another person's show that I don't even watch. Yeah. It's like this. they made, they went out of their way to basically acknowledge that show but dismiss it. Like, Bart does like yeah. twice in this episode. Yes, exactly. I think Bart's, um, like, the common voice. Like, obviously, Gene and Reese really wanted to do this. Graining hated they did it. Didn't want anything to do with it. But, um, like, he wasn't behind this particular one there. So they managed to get the wish. But I think Bart is operating on the voice of Graining and the audience there. Like, you know, who is this Jay Shem then? Are we ever going to see him again? Is this critic show actually any good there? I think Bart is definitely the voice of reason. So we cut to the nuclear power plant and, you know, Burns even wants to get in on this film festival because... You know, why are our profits down there? Because it, it turns out that, you know, 37% sir, see was some sort of an ogre. And when you should be the real, you know, heroic, uh, nubile, virile, and who oh, you left out pleasant. But f- wallops him. Wallops him with this big cane there. And it's a big dirty thud, but I like Smithers. Like, doesn't scream, but it's like, oh, like horribly concussed noise there. <laughs> who oh, you left out pleasant. But, um, yeah. He should get onto it there, because, you know, he got to hide as villainous. He's going to be like Bugsy or Working Girl, you know, something to show him in a good light. So who, who's he going to get? Can he get Steven Spielberg? 
Uh, no, he can't. He is unavailable, sir. Then get me his non-union Mexican equivalent. Listen, Senior Spielbergo, I want you to do for me what Spielberg did for Oscar Schindler. Uh, Schindler es bueno. Senor Burns es el diablo. Listen, Spielbergo, Schindler and I are like peas in a pod. We're both factory owners, we both made shells for the Nazis, but mine worked, damn it. Now go out there and win me that festival. Well, get me his non-union Mexican equivalent. Um, this bit always made my dad laugh there. I don't know why, but I've got very early memories of watching this and... I would have been like five or six at the time. I don't know what Hollywood is or that, but obviously my dad lived through Close Encounters and Jaws and everything else there. And him just seeing a little Mexican Steven Spielberg equivalent and then you hear Ben just go, listen Spielbergo. It's just, oh, it's fantastic there. And that's quite a good likeness if um, he was Latino. Good job. Oh yeah, really. I think it's a case of um, basically like, Obviously, biggest director in Hollywood, so like a lot of people try to be him. And like, I don't know much about like middle-end communities or like discount movies, but I swear to God, there was this phase where there was always like these um, uh, Latinx um, versions of these famous Hollywood movies. So it makes sense as like a Senor Spielberg just mm. making these movies. I also love that scene just in general because like you cut to the power plant, you hear like a. Uh, riff of the imperial march when mr yes. ben's on screen yes. and then after the yoga line he says i will club them and cr- eat their bones i just made a point to note that and when he's talking about oh we'll do for me what they did for oscar schindler and it's like but wait n- no <laughs> it's like oh yeah. but me and schindler are two peas in the pod we both made bombs for the Nazis and own factories, but my bombs worked. And it's like mine worked, damn it! Now win me that festival. Now he's taking pride in the worst bit of World War Two. Fuck me. That's kind of now. Monty Burns was just creating bombs for the Nazis. Oh yeah, like it didn't surprise me at all. No. We also get now. Um, like here's the thing. Like I liked this episode overall, but I just didn't like. A lot of Jay Sherman's bit, and I don't know whether that's because he just doesn't come across as likable, or I don't know the jokes didn't really land with me. But I wasn't laughing a lot at you know, oh he's who gets the last pork chop, and then the stomachs fighting there. So, um, but that's just me, Josh. What did you think of you know the belching, fighting over the pork chops? You know, uh, him talking about you know his Golden Globes, all that. Did you like any of this? I can live with that. Like, I remember really enjoying the uh, stomach growling competition when I was a kid. But, like, even as an adult, when he's, like, knocking out his five Golden Globes, I'm like, are those Golden Globes? Because I've watched the Golden Globes, mm. and th- those did not look anything like the Golden Globes. Like, they're, oh. they're long with a round globe on the top of it. Like, why, why are these just, like, five balls? Like, it, it's a weird one. But, yeah, just... Not a lot I can remember about that sequence of events, really, apart from the bit I mentioned to you earlier, where, like, Homer's just, like... It's sort of teased, like, Homer's jealous of Jay, but it's, like, mm. done very minor. Like, when you compare it to, like, Marge being jealous of um, Laureen Lumpkin in the um, country episode, like, it, it's very mild compared to the levels of jealousy that Marge demonstrated. Mm. Not as impactful, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we've seen Homer, like, more jealous in... Other episodes, I can't think off the top of my head, but I swear to God, there's been a couple of times where he's been jealous of other people around Marge. But yeah, just... uh, Ruth Powers when she gets she gets a proper friend, she, he's super jealous. Yeah, 
that that yeah, would be yeah. one there. But in this way, it's like implied, like oh, he's like oh no, this is a cool like Hollywood critic with a big intellect who has all these awards. Oh no, how can I ever compete? It's like like mate, for one, I mean I hate to go into that stereotype, but Jay seems to be a short guy, so and you're taller, you, you have nothing to worry about, bro. <laughs> Yes, and he works his magic on, uh, you know, Patty and Selma as well. Uh, Camus can do, but Smartra is, no, Sartre is Smartra. And just some fluffy over-the-top line. But Homer literally does the same joke, but, you know, for the common folk. Oh, well, Scooby-Doo can doo-doo, but Jimmy Carter is smarter. And who let that wind bail in there? <laughs> just no need for it there. It's literally the same joke. Poor Homer. Yeah, I swear, with those windbows, like, you ever feel like just, like, wandering around the wilderness aimlessly, just waiting for that perfect dead-in-the-air joke to come I, rolling in? I love in. that joke, though, like, when it's completely out of context, and it just, like, enters, like... I remember Shooting Stars, the BBC show used to do it a lot there with um, Bob Mortimer's jokes there. It just works. Like, it's so old that it's funny. And I believe Patty and Selma want the goss from Jay here, because he's a big hollywood type there so and i believe this is one of your fave bits josh it's this one of my favorite bits because like simpsons obviously like its own little show like it never really references stuff in the past but something that's always been integral to patty and selma's characters is that they are unhealthily obsessed with the character of macgyver on the tv show mm. so discovering that their idol is potentially homosexual therefore unable to you know Fulfill their probably weird fantasies about him. <laughs> Jay, um, <laughs> Jay just gets strung up in his underwear, and Bart knows me as like, ah, you made fun of MacGyver, didn't you? You poor thing. So Marge has now organised the um, uh, jury for this film festival there, and in between a lot of awkward pauses to appease Homer. Um, look, he's not. Uh, super smart like Jay, but does he know all the lyrics to the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, Josh? Um, yes, he does. I do not know off by out though, so I will not be singing it, but yeah. <laughs> and the kids drawing everything as well, and mm-hmm. that, that's when Homer has to admit the feet. Just, he knows all the words, Marge. You can sleep with him. Let me just take a lock of your hair <laughs> to remember your vibe. <laughs> like, he's just like, yep, yeah, that's it. My marriage is ruined. Like, he's clearly the better guy. Oh, mate, I felt that, like, I remember, what was it? Uh, I, yeah, I remember a couple years ago when, you know, I'm a big uh, football fan, folks, as you know, through this pod, Josh is a Liverpool fan. Like, when you hear <laughs> Phil Foden when he was, like, 20, and then you go, oh, this is the second Premier League title he's won. You're like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing when I was 20. I was not doing that, and now he's got, like, four Premier League titles, and he's only 22, 23 now. It's... It just makes you sick, Josh. Like, how can I compete with that as a human? So in order to appease Homer there, um, Homer is on the jury list, um, but she wipes out one hell of a name, Martin Scorsese. I want to know how she brokered that deal there. (laughs) And from that, we have Burns casting for his lead role of, well, himself. He's going to go with a biopic of, you know, the life of Burns. And um, we get a whole cast of characters here. We get Anthony Hopkins there. And peak um, Silence of the Lambs. We get uh, William Shatner um, with a hell, of, well, a hell, of, a very Shatner performance in itself there. Excellent. And we even get Homer jumping in there because he, he's a man of many hats. He wants to be actor, producer, you know, <laughs> judge. And then we even get some uh, 
for, I mean, out of the four, I would have went with Bumblebee Guy, because at least he had gusto, and I like his little suggestive eyebrows as well, with his excellent day, straight to him there. Um, now, if you were a casting director, who's, and you can have any actor you want, dead, alive, anyone in The Simpsons even, who are you casting to be Charles Montgomery Burns? Oh, <laughs> that is a fantastic little question. Um, you know, you know who would have made a freaking great Charles Montgomery Burns? Christopher Lee would be, mm. have been fantastic. Oh my, yes. I think that's the one. Like, he, on. he's always got to be a for it. Uh, and he's got that silky voice. Could you imagine Christopher Lee in the voice of Saruman saying, excellent, just, oh, he would have been smashing mm. in that role, I think. But I think in, the, in terms of the episode who he auditioned, he should have taken Homer in as the person to play Burns, simply because if Homer was in that movie, but he was also on the judges panel, then whose vote would he have gone to? He would have voted for his own movie. Therefore, Burns would have won. Oh, and he could have bullied him <laughs> so easily, yeah. I mean, he probably, you know, threatened him with his job and all that, yeah. As far as um, IRL actor, I don't know. Like, you've, you've took Christopher Lee. I can't see a better option. So I'll just say either... Um, you know, one of these vintage ones from the 40s. So let's say a Humphrey Bogart or a Clark Gable or something like that. Or um, maybe more modern, just do what they seem to do for the past 20 years. Get <coughs> Daniel Day-Lewis in some makeup. <laughs> have him be very method. Yeah, I'll say runner-up as well. I would have, pro- could have also said Christopher Plummer because he is really diabolical in that um, film about basically having all the money in the world, like he replaced Kevin Spacey because of the Spacey controversy back in the day. Didn't film much of the movie, but his performance was really good in it. Like, he could have been really good, I think. Then again, how do you pull a good role out of what is some very, very shit plagiarising writing? Well, we'll get on to that, as we have the Springfield Film Festival kicking off there. But unfortunately, Hibbert thought it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And well, it's coming full drag there. Do you know, I'm guessing you know the... um. The old tradition of the Rocky Horror Picture Show screenings. Uh, I actually, I'm assuming they all go dressed as Tim Curry because the guy's an absolute legend. Like, I'm assuming they, that was the gag. Or do they? Yeah, uh, they all go up as uh, sweet transvestites, like the song there, <laughs> and then they all do uh, sing-alongs there, like what the Mamma Mia film did a few years ago. The Rocky Horror Picture were doing it way back in the seventies. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. That's one film I need to watch. I I was going to watch it last week, but then my friend came over for like a movie day, so we ended up watching Sunshine instead because neither of us had ever watched it, and it was exactly what I heard, basically. But yeah, Rocky Horror is like, definitely I might watch in the near future list, 100%. Just because I can't deprive myself of Tim Curry any longer, you know? So we get the showcase of films there, and my personal favourite kicks it off... Um, a Puna Hasapima pet along in <laughs> Bright Lights, Brief Jerky. Um, well, I guess more of a documentary kind of film. Or, you know, docu-soap there, part real, part fiction. Help! Help, police! Hey, I got problems of my own right now. Oh, boy. This is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but it's just straight from his camera of him getting robbed there. <laughs> and a great ending, just him asking for police. And Wiggum's there. Wiggum's in store dealing with a hot dog. I got problems of my own now. Oh boy, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And then it just cuts before like he gets choked to death or like trapped. Um, yeah, 
So it leaves you with some tension there. Good God. Um, do you have a favourite out of all the choices there? And you can include the ones we saw getting filmed. So you can include the Eternal Struggle and, you know, Rod's uh, turn as Moses there. Uh, do you have a fave of these selections there? Well, out of the ones that do show, unfortunately, I do end up... Like, they deliberately make it so obvious which I'm supposed to be the winner because mm. you know, that's like any good that I would probably watch would be uh, the Pew Contest. So I am curious as to what the Flanders Moses story would have gone down the route of. Mm. Um, but like the others, I mean, to be fair, I am kind of curious as to what the through line of Burns's fucking movie was. Because, <laughs> good God. Yeah, he was just ripping off the major films of the past 50 years, wasn't he? Yeah, it was just like random snippets. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, Mexican film he was in, but like, oh, he's in the desert yeah. and gives Ben her water. He's literally E.T. and he's going back mm. home to space. And it's like, what? What's the through line here? How do you get from Ben Hur, which is set in like, I don't want to put a year on it, but like, back in the days of Chariots, because, you know, mm. infamous chariot scene that's like, 30 minutes long, and then you have E.T., which is set in the 80s, like, like, are you playing that you're, like, hundreds of years old, Burns? Like, it's established in one of your episodes that you're 81, so I'm sensing some bullshit here, Mr. Montgomery Burns. I think he's literally the deus ex machina. He is God, and he's ever-present in these films. So what you're saying is, is it was Burns that saved Todd from the, um, rapids, and that was his yes. hands coming out the sky? Yes. Oakley dookley. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, we get a nice cabaret reference as well. Now, I never got this until I watched Cabaret in university as well. Um, yeah, hell of a film. I was surprised how much I liked it and how like eerie it gets really near the end and you see the Nazi influence there. But um, Mo doesn't quite have the charm of one Liza Minnelli, does he? Oh, definitely not. Uh, it just feels like he wanted to get in dress up I love a mini rant at the people that don't pay their tabs. Money gets you one more round. Drink it down, you stupid clown. Money gets you one more round. And you're out on your ass. Whoa! Ah, my back! I love the delivery when he gets hurt. That's like, that's almost very generous. Ah, my back! <laughs> like, he wasn't, he wasn't going to cut that out of the edit there. Like, he had to show his pain. <laughs> Yep, he had to say that I was injured making this movie so that fans can gush about this forever. Mm. And we get actually my favourite part of this episode here, folks. I'll cut in the little jingle. I mean, it's the meme. There's quite a few memes in here actually thinking about it, but ah, fuck me, what a, what a gag this is. But Hans Moleman Productions presents Man Getting Hit by Football. Hans Moleman Productions presents Man Getting Hit by Football. <laughs> this contest is over. Give that man the $10,000. This isn't America's Funniest Home Videos. But the ball is growing. It works at so many levels. Roll it again. And an American football just hits him right in the plums as he crumples on the floor. And <laughs> Homer is the only one laughing, barrel laughing, like 
my dad watching, you know, on YouTube, you know, Big Woman Falls Down Hole, that classic one. Or um, I guess my equivalent is, as far as like funny YouTube videos that you've been framed. Um, have you ever seen an Irish family trying to get a bat out of the house? Wait, I think so, actually. Like, it's, it's amazing. You've just unlocked a hidden very, memory. And they are like freaking out with a broom. Southern Island accent. Catch him, Daddy. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Oh, my God. to go get him. He's like McGregor. He's got no legs. It's, it's the best. Me and my mum and my dad will just cry watching that whenever we're bored. Um, so that's my equivalent of a man getting hit by football. Have you got an equivalent uh, for yourself, Josh? Oh, God. In terms of what? Like, have you react like Homer? Fuck it. <laughs> that's a good question, actually. There's a lot of things that have made me laugh in the past. I mean, I mean, quite frankly, Lambs with Hats always gets me. Just the oh yes, <laughs> just that li- just the line that is what forgiveness sounds like. Screaming then silence. Like why is that so fucking true? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I had a stomach craving that only baby hands could satisfy. Just, just the bluntness of no, it. No, Carl, no. <laughs> and then we get to Barney's, you know, tour de force in Pukahontas there, and legit the best one out of there. Like he's got everything filters and proper editing, and it's a hell of a job there, like the story he tells there. My name is Barney Gumble. I'm 40, I'm single, and I drink. There's a line of a fellow about a drinker. Now a sensible man, by and by a fool, presently a beast. That pretty well covers it. It's brilliant. Savagely honest, tender. He has the soul of a poet. You're very kind. Excuse me, did something crawl down your throat and die? It didn't die. My name is Barney, and I'm an alcoholic. Mr. Gumble, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem? Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. How does this do for a legit film? Oh, well, you know, the cinematography is very good. Like, the cuts in between, like, the wide shot of him, like, drinking and passing out in the gutter to cut into a close-up of the beer going down the drain. It's fantastic. I also like how it sort of foreshadowed an infamous online meme of Sir, this is a Wendy's in the guise of a Girl Scouts cookie club. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Is it, or is it the fact you girls can't admit you have a problem? Uh, I think one of the bits of that as well is where... <laughs> And these two women like say, Oh my god, it's so earth and so sweet. But it's round. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, could you go away, please? Like it, it reeked of that meme of why can't we find more guys like this? Hi, no, I am literally that guy in the picture. <laughs> but that's what <laughs> something that crawled down your throat and died. Oh, it didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barney is just I would love to know who like did he direct that is like who's holding the camera because there's a lot of wide shots of him like laying on the ground so who did he get to film and who in the right mind is the genius cinematographer of that like that is definitely well honestly it's probably mo (laughs) because 
that was shot outside the bar. Barney probably did cinematography for him and that cabaret little affair. And then he probably just went, all right, do you mind just shooting this bit by the curb and all around? <laughs> they probably helped each other. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, it was show, actually. But then, like, what's that, though? Mo, like, literally enables him and buys like, I'm going to make a film about mm. how my life is ruined through alcohol. And we get the final one, a Burns for All Seasons, this big, you know, golden era of Hollywood, big epic there. And yeah, it's just parodies of it. The, some of the three biggest films for the past 50 years. Simple villages, I promise you, I will close plates in America and bring work here. Viva, Senor Burns! Viva! Viva! <laughs> did 20 ticks and that was the best one remember elliot i'll be right here your egotism self-indulgent tripe i don't care what they say i'm going to win this festival Drink up, Judah Ben-Hur. You truly are the king of kings. Excellent. Considering how, um, in so many episodes, Burns is, like, really fragile. Like, he can't throw a baseball more than, like, a foot in front mm. of him. The slightest gust of wind blows him away. The fact he falls off a horse and gets dragged around is perfectly <laughs> fine is quite astounding. And so, this self-indulgent tripe gets rightfully booed but ah oh, i mean this is one of the major memes who's saying booer burns um as far as simpsons memes it's a hell of a meme here but do you have an all-time favorite simpsons meme josh or if you want to rattle a few if that's easier then take your pick oh well the, a meme that never fails because <laughs> i'm in like a discord group and sometimes like the chats end up in a, a load of the botchery so i'll get on from work and try and catch up See the chaos that's happened, and I'll immediately just reply with the uh, the gif of Grandpa walking into the Bachelors Club, seeing Bart, oh, and nice. probably walking back out. And Homer in the Hedge is all is an old timer as well. Like, I think yeah, those two, fine. those two are that's the fine. peak of Simpsons memes. Smithies, are they booing me? Nah, no, they're saying boo urns, boo urns. Are you saying boo or boo urns? I was saying Burns. We're into our final act now, and it comes down for the jury to decide who is getting the best flick. And, you know, it's a dead heat now. It's Pucontis versus, you know, Burns for all season there with uh, Quimby and Crossy in particular getting the dirty rub, greasing his hands uh, with Burns' money. Jay even brings us, how can you vote for Burns' movie? And a hell of a, this needs to get used more as a meme as well. Oh, uh, well, let's just say it moved me to a bigger house. Oh, no, I said the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, oh, just fantastic gag in itself there. And, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot with, like, YouTube and YouTubers where they do these one-off brand deals and you clearly see it. They're dead behind the eyes and just taking it because it's an easy 15 grand there to talk about Raid Shadow Legends. 
Yeah. So I've seen a lot of real life, you know, let's say, move me to a bigger house. <laughs> Have you seen many examples of this, Josh? Oh, a lot of times. Like, no matter what market I'm on, whether that be a gaming channel, I've literally... There are people that read D&D horror stories that are doing Ray Shadow Legends plugins, and it's got mm. to the point of such a meme that even when they do these sponsors, it's like, if you don't know what Ray Shadow Legends is, are you living in The Rock? How are you on YouTube? <laughs> like, I promise you, like, I didn't expect to enjoy this game, but I actually do really enjoy this game. It's like, mm, do you though? Bollocks. In his home, we're going to make a decision. No, he's adamant with football in the groin, like myself there. So they decide to take a break, and Homer's got to try and see the light. He's got to vote for, quote, <laughs> the right film here. And even as he thinks, like, uh, you know, oh, are you going to get on to me as well, Jake? No, I'm not going to make fun of you, but I will say. There's more to life than a man getting hit by a football. Now, here's the thing. Now, being a critic and having your, like, integrity or what have you there, should Homer stick with his guns with football in the groin? Or should he go for, quote, the right decision? I, that one thing, that's one thing that always bugs me about this episode. Like, technically, yes, in terms of you want the film quality um, by his movie is technically the right decision but on the flip side <laughs> film is subjective like there's a reason the Oscars had this whole fan choice award like the fan mm. choice award was basically the home award there like the ones that got like the most votes were like the Zack Snyder Justice League uh, that terrible Cinderella movie that was just basically only successful because of the fanboys of the singer who sang at the Champions League final oh like, Camilla Cabello yeah yeah <laughs> it's one of those where Homer was definitely picking the wrong movie, and if like that one at a festival, like what hope is there for actual like decent movies out there? Mm. But at the same time, Marge is very, very snobby about it. There's like a yeah. level of film snobbery. Like I like to, I love myself an amazing film. But if there's a film I just enjoy casually, I will enjoy that as well. But I would never claim it to be the best film. Like, whenever I do a rating for a film, I'm always like, it's how. I enjoyed this film based on the expectations I had going into it. Like I could okay, easily yeah. give Sharknado a four out of five star because I just expect it to be a dumb movie about sharks and a tornado. I would say Homer. If Homer did stick to his guns, then there would have been no winner because don't think anyone was going to budge on any of their choices because of bribery and stuff. Um, but I don't like the attitude of like you must pick this right movie. It stinks of like Star Wars fans crying about me saying that I think Last Jedi is the second best Star Wars film. I have oh, had, right. I've had people come for me a couple of times just for implying that. You did skip off one little gag where it cuts to uh, Burns showing Krusty and Crimby in a like, little olive camera and saying Ooh. like it was a good idea to bribe him. That's how I won the Miss Beauty pageant. It cuts and it shows the front page of him like winning Miss Teen America or whatever it was. As it's like yeah, burns. Continental this... man wins Team America. <laughs> like that gag is just fantastic. Like canonically, Burn has won Miss Team America. So we get to the final day of the film festival, and you know, as well as Itchy and Scratchy winning best animation there with four funerals and a wedding. Um, quite fun. Again, so I know it's cartoon that, but the rally breaker thing <laughs> is Right, so he had sex with this bomb woman and they had kids that... I was about to mention that. That was amazing. I love that. I also feel like it was a little jab at Disney wheel enough as well, just for the fact that Disney kind of has a monopoly on 
their animated films sort of winning. Well, maybe not back then now, actually, because I don't think Disney was on a good streak in the mid-90s. But if that was like came out today, I would say that's a joke that the popular thing that everyone knows always wins the best animated feature mm. sort of thing. Because obviously Itch and Scratch is the only animated thing that goes around in Springfield. So, I don't know. I thought that was like a nice little gag, but maybe I'm reaching there for that one. So it gets to best film, and thankfully Homer did have a change of heart there. And so Pucondis ends up winning. Barney Gumble is your winner, folks. And maybe it's not that hard being a film cricket, Josh. Oh, it, oh yeah, de- it's not hard at all. Definitely not. Being a cricket is a fun old time. <laughs> Doesn't matter that you have to think about... Well, I don't know about the writing side of things, but yeah, you, you go, you spend half hour getting to the cinema, you spend about two and a half hours, three hours watching the movie, uh, you consolidate your thoughts, you spend about half hour recording if you're just doing a one take video then you're cleaning up your audio and then you edit it and you upload like it's so like a between like an eight to twelve hour job depending on the video yeah. like the video essay but you know that's easy piece of piss right no stress <laughs> whatsoever no no stress about trying to get it out before everyone else gets it out so that you have chance of clicks and stuff not at all but being the cricket that's the easy part <laughs> So Barney is so inspired by this, he realises he's got an art and a vision there. So you're going to see a new Barnard combo, clean and sober there. Ah, oh, thank you very much, Barney. Now here's your prize. Fuck me. A lifetime supply of tough beer. Ah, oh, hook it to my veins. <laughs> oh, that, that ending bugs me to no freaking that, end. I'll tell you what, that should be a meme in itself. I want to see people use that more itself, you know, just like, Oh, it's, you know, uh, Warzone 2's coming out. Oh, hook it to my veins or anything like that. I think I have seen that as a meme a couple of times. Like, whenever it's not being shut up and take my money from Fry, it's like, hook it to my veins. Oh, that's the equivalent. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like whenever someone's been like, oh, this actor has just been named in this movie, it's like, inject that shit into my veins. (laughs) But it's so tragic. Like, poor Barney, I would love to see that. If there was a Barney biopic, I would watch it because mm. it canonically he was a hard-working student until Homer made him have one beer so he wouldn't be That's boring. Right. Very well done. And then he's trying to like being like, "Oh my god, I've, I'm good at this film malarkey thing." You know what? I'm going to go straight and not drink any more alcohol. Uh, but it's like, oh, we've decided that ten thousand dollar prize is now just a lifetime supply of Duff beer. Like, wow. Oh, yeah, that's it. They've just got sponsor from Duff there. This pure enablers, fuck. <laughs> but again, do not like Marsh be like, oh, well done, Homer. Yeah, pick the right movie. It's like, there's no such thing as a right movie. I can just respectfully disagree with some of that things. Man getting hit in balls with football is the greatest thing on the planet, but... Well, clearly, because we cut to the Oscars six months later. Burns didn't get his local film festival, but I've got this. I've bribed everyone in Hollywood. And, um... Fair play to Hans Mole, man. He's um balled out here. Like he's got that, he's got it developed into a proper feature now with a uh, George C. Scott. So he's pushing. He's looking up. He's smelling the roses, and it wins. George C. Scott and man getting hit by football and <laughs> a nice patinesque delivery. Ah, my groin. Ah, let's deliver That's how we end it there. I'm I'm happy for Mole, man. I tell you, good for him. I mean, you reckon that like maybe Mole didn't even know about it. Maybe it's a case of a critic. Like slipped into this film festival, saw that idea, and was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that idea and use it as my own idea," because that's how Hollywood be working sometimes. 
And that's how we end this episode, folks. So, Josh, as the guest then, as you have done throughout this whole episode, could you give me your final thoughts a la Jerry Springer <laughs> and your own unique rating out of five, please? Oh, so, well, I'd say as a person that loves watching film and that these days, it's a, it's a decent episode. Don't get me wrong. Doesn't It's not like a all-time. It's no Flaming Mo. It's not a Trace of Horror. It's not a Cape Fear. But it's definitely got some standout moments. The Rocky Horror Picture Show bit is a highlight for me. Homer giving in and like basically giving Marge permission to cheat on him with this short <laughs> critic guy. Like, by the fact, I have no idea who this critic guy is. I bet if I Google him, I'll find all sorts of stuff about him. But as a guest star, not a real standout. Um, do wish there could have been a couple of other movies in there that were, you know, of decent quality. A uh, couple of mean spirited bits. Don't like the gatekeeping aspect, but it does have a lot of clever commentaries on filmmaking in general and plagiarism and cheap knockoffs and ripoffs and gatekeeping and all that malarkey. I think for me the highlight just has to be the Imperial March theme, followed promptly by Burns confirming that he's a bit of an ogre, and obviously the home of Give It Away Marge. Deal. It's a fine episode. As a film fan, I enjoy it. I do love a good film festival. Uh, those conversations do happen in film festival theatres amongst critics. Well, mainly after the film. No one talks during the film, but for some reason people do get on their phones still during the movie, which is kind of annoying, but there you go. As for my rating, oh, if I had to give it like on my T rating scale that I use on my channel, I would have to give it the needs more sugar rating, that where it just needs like a little bit extra bit of sweetness to knock it into that really good rating. Like, okay. for comparison, say the other episode I did Pokemon, that I would put that at like a like a okay, maybe a lukewarm sort of deal, so a bit on the lower end. But yeah, it's not quite up with the good tier. It's a much better episode than the previous one we've done, but. Solid episode all around, I would say. And for myself, um, I would say that I think because the fact they clearly did it as a, again, a cheap crossover to push the critic, which would be right on after The Simpsons there. Um, yeah, you can just sort of see right through it. I like the concept of a film festival and I like everyone getting involved there. I like the dilemma Homer has to deal with there. Love football in the groin, but just I don't like Jay Sherman, and I just wish... Like, they could have got in, I don't know, another celebrity. Maybe a Clint Eastwood, or they just have, you know, Krusty as the main uh, third judge there, if you will, there. But I don't know how we'd really solve that. So, with that being said, I'm going to go a bit mean. I'm going to go like a film critic. I'm going to err on the side of mean and stinginess and give it a three out of five. Um, man getting hit by footballs. All right, uh, fantastic. And Josh, please plug away your own personal projects. What are you up to? What's your next review? <laughs> right, so, well, I've been a bit behind your reviews recently. I've been very on and off this year just through several outside-the-box things. But I do review films on my child movie Apprentice and occasionally do a video essay or two. I need to finally get around to actually recording my Jojo Rabbit video essay because I've had the footage and script for that down for like a couple of weeks now. So that could be expected soon. Uh, expect a very belated review of Jurassic World Dominion, as I've not got around to watching that yet, but I will be doing that shortly. And also, coming up as well, there's Lightyear next week is the big Friday release, I believe. I think Bullet Train's coming out as well, and the trailer for that looks really interesting and really spicy. So I can't wait to sink my teeth into that. 
but yeah follow me on youtube at the movie apprentice or on twitter at movie apprentice or if you follow me on letterbox at the spike the spikehead pod because letterbox doesn't let you change your username without paying a membership fee uh which is annoying yeah follow me on those and lots of lots of movie gushing movies i'm always up for suggestions as well so if you want to drop on the Twitter fee and DM me a requested review. I will always be happy to do one. I did Man on Fire as a requested review, and that's one of my most successful ones yet. So, yeah, that is me. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.